My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast... Trozy was created to be a comprehensive sleep solution, really leveraging the GABA system that we're, we've been talking about. So it has the Hanukkah that we were talking about before. It has the Agarin that we were talking about before as well. Agarin from the psychedelic mushroom, the Amanita. Very, very low doses, no psychedelic experience, just long-acting GABA support throughout your whole evening. has CBD. It has CBN in it as well. It also has adenosine. So adenosine is not acting on the GABA system. It's working on the adenosine receptors in the brain. And you were mentioning caffeine earlier. So this is for your people that like to drink coffee all day long, but it can screw up their sleep. Having some adenosine before you go to bed um, or can really help with that unbinding of the caffeine to the receptor and getting adenosine to allow it to bind. Fitness, nutrition, biohacking, longevity, life optimization, spirituality, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Ben Greenfield Life Show. Are you ready to hack your life? Let's do this. Hey, you want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance and do it naturally without nasty prescription drugs? Yeah, check out this stuff, Joy Mode. It's a powder. You put it in water, or if you're like me and you're a savage, you can dry powder into your mouth. It contains clinically supported doses of L-citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C. So after taking this stuff called their Sexual Performance Booster, again, by Joy Mode, your blood levels of arginine and yohimbine increase, and that directly promotes nitric oxide production, penile tissue relaxation, and increased drive. Well, the antioxidant action of vitamin C protects the nitric oxide from oxidative degradation, which then enhances the blood flow promoting activity of the nitric oxide. They thought of everything. They're super smart over at Joy Mode, and collectively these effects enhance sex drive and blood flow naturally to the penis or to the clitoris. My wife takes it too. It's amazing. You get better orgasms, better blood flow. You can kiss nasty prescription medications goodbye and have natural guilt-free energy for boosting your sexual performance. You can get 20% off your first order from Joy Mode. How? Go to usejoymode.com slash greenfield. That's usejoymode.com slash greenfield. J-O-Y. Use joymode.com slash greenfield. They'll give you 20% off your first order. All right, January's here. Now your New Year's resolutions are coming along. But one thing a lot of people focus on, including me, is good sleep, just for general overall well-being. It's like the number one hack for that, if you want to call it a hack. And one of the best ways to support sleep and nice slippery poops the next day is magnesium, which is involved in over 300 other enzymatic reactions within the body beyond sleeping and pooping. So magnesium breakthrough is a blend of seven different forms of magnesium. So you don't have to pick one for one occasion. You get all seven of the most beneficial forms of magnesium. And because magnesium is so depleted in so many people, I don't know anybody that does not start taking magnesium breakthrough and not notice some kind of difference in one area of their life that they might not even known that they were deficient in until they actually addressed. And then they start to feel truly optimized with this by optimizer stuff. So you go to buyoptimizers.com slash Ben and use promo code Ben 10 to try magnesium breakthrough with a 10% discount on any order from anything from by optimizers. They also have great digestive enzymes. They got sleep products, but this magnesium stuff is the bomb. So buyoptimizers.com slash Ben use promo code Ben one zero. 
Well, everybody wants to boost their immune system these days, and it turns out that getting into a sauna four to five times a week has been proven to give you that support, plus reduce pain and inflammation, increase heat shock proteins to make you tougher and more resilient, help you maintain muscle even when you can't work out, increase blood flow to tissues, help to detoxify, and help you to feel on top of the world because penetrating infrared heat releases so many happy hormones, way more than, say, like a dry sauna or a wet sauna or a steam sauna. So in my house, I use the Clearlight Sauna. Clearlight is the sauna company that's known for low EMF, and each sauna comes with a lifetime warranty. So you're not only not microwaving yourself inside the sauna, but it's built to last. I use their Sanctuary Sauna, which is big enough for me to work out in. I can squeeze a few people in there for a little sauna party. It's fantastic. they got a whole variety of sizes of saunas, including a one-person if you just want to fit for even the smallest apartment, and a helpful quiz on their website that helps you find the perfect model of each of their 13 different models to figure out which one's right for you. And you're going to get a discount and free shipping, which is a huge savings because saunas are big and heavy and well-made, but they'll ship it to your house for free. Here's how. Just go to HealWithHeat.com and mention my name, which is Ben, in case you didn't know that. HealWithHeat.com. Use code Ben for that discount for free shipping and for the best sauna you're going to find. Get on the infrared bandwagon. It's amazing. You'll feel amazing. HealWithHeat.com. Use code Ben. All right, folks. So uh, several years ago, I had this super smart guy write an article for bengreenfieldlife.com about how to biohack your hyperbaric experience. Maybe I'll give you do a hyperbaric chamber, how to use things like methylene blue and nitric oxide precursors and all sorts of crazy stuff to accelerate the healing or the recovery that might happen inside one of those chambers. Uh, the guy who wrote that article was actually my guest or is my guest on today's show, Dr. Scott Scher. And Scott's interesting because he is a specialist in hyperbaric oxygen therapy, but he also is the founder of uh, Health Optimization Medicine and Practice, which is a nonprofit education company that trains doctors uh, about how to treat the root cause of health. He also has this kind of cool sidearm of that called Troscriptions. Proscriptions basically makes these teeny tiny things that you dissolve under your mouth. You may have seen the biohackers who have been accused of having Smurf mouth. That's all blue. Well, that's because one of the things that, that Scott makes are these little blue, methylene blue trochies. Uh, but I actually don't want to talk with you that much about methylene blue today, Scott, because yeah, you've done that before. You, yeah, we've done that before. We've 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 kicked that horse to death. Exhausted. Uh, methylene blue. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Nothing else exactly. to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> actually, it's a, it's a pretty fascinating molecule, but no, it is. It's I awesome. digress. Yeah. So GABA, though, is what I'm interested in. GABA, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it so you don't have to. Gamma aminobutyric acid, GABA. The reason is not only because you were showing me some of the things you could put in these under-the-tongue trochies to increase the levels of this inhibitory neurotransmitter, but... You also, I think it was via an email, were filling me in on a bunch of stuff. I didn't even know about GABA, so I kind of stopped you, and I was like, dude, let's just let's just do a podcast about this. So all things GABA, which I think everybody should know about this neurotransmitter because it's super important, is the topic of today's show. So, Scott, welcome, man. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. It's good to be on with you as you walk and I sit, and you're making me feel jealous that you're walking <laughs> while I sit, but I think you do that yeah, all the time. Any, anybody here. who watches the video version of this podcast knows that, that I move. As a matter of fact, I recorded a podcast last night about inactivity 
and about the very small contractions that need to take place, particularly in the calf and soleus, right. so to upregulate yeah. lipoprotein lipase, which yep. basically burns down triglycerides. So even just like a very slow conversational pace walk, I find for me when I'm podcasting is not only a great way to spark metabolism, but I feel like I think better and I focus better when I'm moving just a little bit while I'm talking to someone. And, and I almost, uh, I almost have this, uh, well, I mean, they've actually looked into this. You, you see increased levels of brain derived neurotrophic factors. So there's a little bit of neurogenesis going on and kind of a mental effect of the so-called, you know, walking university, walking, talking chats. I think everybody should do this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I need to get one from my house when I'm not podcasting in my bedroom, yeah. maybe. So <laughs> just imagine all the people in, in Joe Rogan's podcasting studio walking while smoking marijuana and, you know, and uh, watching whiskey. UFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a party. So, uh, so GABA, man, what, what is GABA? Describe that to people. Yeah. So uh, you gave us the, the technical team, excuse me, the chemical name just now, the gamma amino butyric acid. And GABA is the neurotransmitter that nobody knows about but it's probably one of the most important. I mean, we all know about serotonin. We all know about dopamine and norepinephrine. Like these are all the cool neurotransmitters that everybody cares about because that's what you hear about on the news. Everybody's got dopamine problems because they're scrolling on their phones and everybody's got concentration issues. They can't concentrate on something for more than two and a half seconds. But GABA is what puts the brakes on neurotransmission. And it actually entails about 20% of the, the brain's entire neurotransmission. So it's a significant amount of neurotransmission. And what the brakes means is it puts the brakes or it calms down the firing of your neurons. And it is throughout your whole brain. If you don't fire, you're going to calm down. You're going to feel a significant difference if you are in excitatory state. And so you have GABA around and GABA is always being balanced by an excitatory neurotransmitter called glutamate. Glutamate and GABA make up in total about 80% of your brain's neurotransmission. So this is a huge amount. And so GABA is made from glutamate. So glutamate actually gets converted in the brain and into GABA. But so many of us these days, Ben, are, are GABA deficient. And there are tons of symptoms, which I can just kind of rattle off for people just so they can get kind of an understanding. But so top symptoms of GABA deficiency from a mental health perspective are anxiety, fear, depression, migraine, short temper, phobias, impulsiveness, disorganization, addictions, even schizophrenia and OCD have been associated with GABA deficiency. And systemic symptoms like IBS, diarrhea, hypertension, tinnitus, chronic pain, allergies, frequent urination, flushing, bloating, sweating, salt cravings, and muscle tension are the ones that we typically think about when you're thinking about GABA deficiency. But this is not obviously... Everybody that has these symptoms doesn't necessarily have GABA deficiency, but it's not on the radar for any clinicians that I really know. And it's not on the radar really for people when they're having these kinds of symptoms, like they're depressed because they're GABA deficient. Oh, that's not what my doctor told me. They told me to take an SSRI, right? So we have all of these potential symptoms and conditions that may be related to GABA being deficient in the brain because those brakes aren't working well. Now, is there a way to test for this? Because... For a while, there were, there were some urinary neurotransmitter tests that I was aware of, like like the Dutch Complete, for example, which is a great test for hormones, will test for neurotransmitters. But I've heard many times, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that the urinary neurotransmitter levels don't really tell you what's going on in the brain. Is that true? 
Absolutely true. Yeah. So they can only be corollary. And that's a significant problem because you really can't get a good sense of what's happening in the brain looking at like an organic acid level of your neurotransmitters. Now, this is why it's really important to have a clinical history when you're talking to somebody and understanding in the context of that what neurotransmitter levels may be correlated to from a brain perspective, but it's still just a correlation. So besides symptoms, are there any other things you could test to see if you could be GABA deficient, like any minerals or vitamins or hormones or anything like that? Yeah, exactly. So what you can do is look at what actually turns into glutamate in the brain. So what you do is you start off with the amino acid that typically is the one that's going to get converted into glutamate and then glutamate getting converted to GABA, which is glutamine. So glutamine is amino acid that you can measure. You can measure it in urine. You can also measure it in your plasma. And so you can measure your plasma glutamine levels to get a sense if you have enough precursor to make enough GABA in the brain. GABA precursors include the most uh, important amino acid in this sort of whole process is glutamine. So glutamine is an amino acid we can get from food sources, as many of us know. Glutamine gets converted into GABA by, via glutamate. So glutamate then gets converted to GABA, but it requires vitamin B6 and it requires magnesium to do that. So you can measure glutamine levels, you can measure glutamate levels, you can measure vitamin B6 levels, you can measure magnesium levels. So all these are extremely important in the whole process of making your GABA. Okay, so if I'm deficient in vitamin B6 and magnesium and glutamine, it could be a clue that I'm GABA deficient, especially if you pair that with some of the symptoms that you talked about earlier. This kind of reminds me of like glutathione, right? You could supplement with glutathione, but also including sulfur-rich foods like, say, eggs or whey protein or having uh, the amino acid cysteine or, or taking selenium can all help with your body's own glutathione production. It sounds like it's kind of similar with GABA. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about to, th to think about, too, is that glutamine is, is one of our most important amino acids, too. It's not just used to make GABA. It's also the main fuel of your enterocytes in your small bowel. So if you have a leaky gut, if you have small bowel overgrowth, if you have small intestinal bowel, um, bacterial overgrowth, excuse me, then you're going to also have a hard time utilizing that glutamine in another way to make it into glutamate and then to make it into GABA. So you really do want to be thinking about the precursors here. And when we do testing at Health Optimization Medicine, and I'm one of the co-founders of that company, Dr. Ted Achikosa was actually the pioneer over there. But when we think about doing health optimization testing, we are looking at plasma amino acid levels and glutamine levels as a marker, along with obviously B6 and magnesium. But what I think is important for people to remember is that this should be on your radar, it's, but it's not because we're more focused on dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. We're forgetting that the breaks are as or more important than the actual drive of the brain itself and how that's causing the brain to, um, to fire as opposed to calm down. Okay. And hopefully I'm not getting too into the weeds here, but the the idea of GABA, like a lot of neurotransmitters, is... I'm assuming it's interacting with the cell receptor in some fashion. Right. And based on that, is, are there, let's say I had enough GABA, are there things that could block that receptor, block GABA from working properly? You know, like with caffeine, for example, one of the ways it works is it blocks adenosine, which is a molecule that increases sleep drive right. from making you feel sleepy because caffeine is kind of like almost like a receptor blocker or taking up the space in that sense. Are there things like that with GABA too? Yeah. So GABA has different receptors in the brain. It has, there's called the GABA A receptor and the GABA B receptor. And caffeine is actually a well-known desensitizer 
of the GABA receptor. So okay. it, desensitizes, it desensitizes the uh, the ability of GABA to bind to its receptor and to cause its function. So what GABA will typically do when it binds to the GABA-A receptor, these GABA-A receptors are all over the brain. The GABA-A receptor will open when GABA re actually binds to the receptor. And when it opens, it's, it's actually a chloride channel. The chloride channel opens, chloride goes into the postsynaptic neurotransmitter, neurotrans postsynaptic neuron. And as a result of that, it blocks the transmission of the signal going forward. So if you have things that are going to desensitize the GABA receptor, hypothetically, or antagonize that receptor itself, and there's other things that we can talk about that do this, that'll also decrease the ability for GABA to bind to its receptor on the, on the actual um, the site, and then decrease the ability for it to actually get that chloride channel to open and to stop firing. Yeah, with the biggest issue with that being that if you're in keeping an inhibitory neurotransmitter from being active, you're going to reduce your ability to be able to sleep and right. relax, which is obviously a problem for a lot of people. What else besides caffeine could do that? Yes, yeah, so all the stimulants can do it, really. Um, so things like herba mate, uh, guana, cola nut, um, they all have the same effect by reducing the sensitivity of the GABA receptor itself. Um, many people think about L-theanine as something that can enhance GABA, and it actually can do this. But if you take too high of a dose, it actually has a paradoxical effect, and it'll actually block the GABA receptor. Um, opioids do this too. So pain medications like your morphines and heroines of the world. I don't recommend the heroin, heroin, as they used to say in Baltimore where I trained. <laughs> um, but so what, what opioids do is they, they actually inhibit the release of GABA by binding to the, uh, the opioid actually will bind to the GABA receptor itself and prevent the release of uh, this chloride channel or the opening of the chloride channel. Um, THC does it too. So um, people who like to smoke marijuana, THC will actually inhibit GABA release. And this is what sometimes can cause anxiety. So that's important, right? If you're in inhibiting GABA, you're inhibiting an inhibitor. So what do you do there? You're actually causing excitatory kinds of symptoms. So that's why people who take or have THC might get anxious as a result of that because you're inhibiting the GABA receptor. Um, and then of course you have other things that are also going to downregulate the GABA receptor over long periods of time. This is kind of more nuanced, but this makes sense. So if you're drinking alcohol all the time, so alcohol is something that binds very tightly to the GABA receptor, it's yeah. going to decrease the number of receptors that you have, okay? So it's going to downregulate the number of GABA receptors that you have available. And anxiety drugs will do this the same way. Sleep drugs will do the same thing. If you're having a lot of these things that bind tightly to these receptors and actually enhance it, you're going to have a down-regulatory effect to the GABA receptor itself, and that's going to cause major issues, especially if you stop these things cold turkey. As you know, if you stop benzos or alcohol cold turkey, you can die from the, the inhibiting the inhibitor. You, have, you don't have enough of these GABA receptors, and all of a sudden you get all this excitatory glutamate, because remember, glutamate and GABA are always in balance with each other. So if you have this imbalance of glutamate, you're going to get this excitatory type of scenario. You get high blood pressure, you get, um, you get labile blood pressure, you get hallucinations. These are the things that are happening when you have too much glutamate around when alcohol withdrawal is happening. One of the arguments that people make for mitigating nighttime alcohol consumption is that it causes you to, I don't know if it, if it contains GABA or if it causes your body to make more GABA but that that wears off later on in the wee hours of the morning, like 1 or 2 a.m., and results in impaired sleep the rest of the night. Is there something to that theory? 
Yeah. So what you're really talking about is there's different ways to bind to the GABA receptor. And this is the weeds for the people who like this kind of thing. You have something called orthosteric ligands of the GABA receptor, or you have allosteric modulators of the GABA receptor. So orthosteric ligands are things that bind directly to the GABA receptor, or the GABA binding site on the receptor. And you have allosteric modulators, which are things that bind outside of that site to the GABA receptor that modulate GABA release. Either they inhibit it or they are what are called positive allosteric modulators that actually bind to the receptor and enhance GABA function. So alcohol is a positive allosteric modulator of the GABA receptor. It's a very, very tightly bound GABA allosteric modulator. So when it binds, it binds tightly. But as you said, it does bind for a very short period of time. Uh -huh. And But that tightly bound aspect of it is what makes it so addicting for people over time. Because when it's so tightly bound, what happens is that receptor starts down-regulating itself or there becomes less of them. So you need to drink more alcohol to get the same benefits oh, or the same sort of okay. effect. So this is a tolerance effect. So if you have a longer-acting positive allosteric modulator that doesn't have as much of an affinity, this could very much help with sleep actually, and not have the same potential downsides. But those are more natural things. These are not things that you're going to get in a prescription, but these are the things that I've been very interested in is how you can modulate the GABA system because GABA is really, really important for sleep too. You need GABA around to help maintain your sleep. It, when you're in your REM sleep, when you're getting your dreams of being chased by a lion, you don't wake up because there's GABA around and serotonin too, but they're both really important to maintain sleep as well. Now, what you've just said kind of makes sense as to why a lot of people who will use marijuana or THC prior to sleep have impaired dreaming cycles because they're not getting into those REM phases and probably also inhibiting GABA production resulting in less memory consolidation and emotional processing during sleep. That's why I'm not a huge fan of, uh, well, I'm, I'm okay with CBD. I think that's actually pretty good for sleep. It is. And nice yeah. for the anti-inflammatory effects, but not so much THC. Right. CBD and CBG, which are both fantastic cannabinoids that are non-psychoactive, they both modulate the endocannabinoid system in the brain, but they also modulate the GABA system. They're positive allosteric modulators of the GABA receptor. THC, as I mentioned earlier, has a negative effect. It has a negative or a negative allosteric modulating effect. So it's actually inhibiting the inhibitor, which is GABA, of course, so causing more anxiety. Now, some people will get a beneficial effect initially if they're having a hard time sleeping. THC can help a little bit, but it does break the architecture of your sleep. Just like your Z drugs, like your Ambien's, Lunesta's of the world, mm -hmm. your Benzo's of the world too, they all break your sleep cycles. And they can help you in a pinch if you're really having a hard time. But in the end, they do have significant detriments on your REM sleep, as you mentioned, for THC, your deep sleep for your benzos. And we know that those are kind of a big deal when it comes to longevity and health span. So at all times, I'm really trying to get my patients off of those drugs and wean them onto natural equivalents. But of course, looking at their underlying foundational biology, are they B6 or magnesium deficient? Should we use those at night to help them sleep? Should we think about their glutamine sources? Do they have a leaky gut? If they have a leaky gut, do we need to seal that up and truly optimize their gut function so that they can actually utilize the sources of glutamine and glutamate in their diet and utilize them and transition them or convert them over to, to GABA as we were talking about before? Now, now if painkillers like opioids could also inhibit 
your GABA production or or affect those receptors deleteriously. What about right. something like kratom? A lot of people use kratom. Have you ever looked into that? How that could impact GABA? Yeah, so you know it's not clear because it hasn't been studied at this point, but. If there's any mu opioid receptor antagonism or agonism in this case, so the mu opioid receptor, there's a number of different types of opioid receptors, and I believe some of the kratoms do affect the mu opioid receptor. If that's the case, it's going to have the same effect as something like morphine and heroin. So it is something to be aware of. It probably is strain specific, um, and I don't have enough data as far as which ones specifically that yeah. uh, the kratoms are, are Pro- focused probably because i forget if it's red or green or white but some are better for sleep and, and some right. aren't but right. i know a lot of people use that and that's interesting to know that affects gaba so in terms of the 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 deficiency of gaba that makes sense and i want to ask you about ways that we could increase gaba but before i do i think this yeah, might yeah. be important so that people don't take too much. Could you have such a thing as a GABA excess? Let's say if you people are hearing you and me talk and they're rushing out to get a GABA supplement or more glutamine and some of these precursors, could you have too much GABA? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so what, I mean, what we're really seeing in clinical practice is a GABA deficiency, right? And we talked about a lot of the reasons. Um, I forgot to mention some mineral deficiencies can do it too. Like if you're low in copper, for example, um, okay. you're also going to be potentially not able to bind GABA to that receptor. Also, if you're stressed all the time, if you have a sympathetic overload and cortisol all the time flying around, you're also going to be GABA deficient as well. Infections will prevent the conversion from glutamate to GABA. So most of the time, Ben, what we're seeing is people that are GABA deficient. Now, GABA excess is usually pretty obvious. It's in people that are really tired. Um, And it's usually people that are taking GABA um, exogenously because Mm. the system is so well-regulated between glutamate and GABA because what happens if you have too much GABA around is that you get tired, you get fatigued, you can't feel like you feel like you have brain fog, you feel like you have imbalance, your blood pressure will go down. So it's very uncommon to see that happen without exogenous sources is what it comes down to. I just haven't, you don't see it in clinical practice. But what I can say in people that take GABA and then they say they can't wake up for two days, that often means that they don't need any extra, <laughs> that if they took it and they didn't feel like um, they could wake up the next day because they were so fatigued, um, that often is because they have already a really, pretty well-balanced system, or it can mean they have a leaky brain and they're taking supplements that are getting across the blood-brain barrier, like taking GABA supplements, for example. Like if you take GABA by itself, GABA itself is such a big molecule mm-hmm. that it doesn't get across the blood-brain barrier unless you have a leaky brain or you take a lot of GABA. And people get scared about the leaky brain, but all that really means is that the blood-brain barrier is not doing its job keeping things out, and that usually means you have a leaky gut as well. I know a doctor in Seattle who makes a transdermal GABA cream. I think it's called Somnium. What about transdermally? Do you think that if you're applying it like to the temples or to the neck that you could mitigate the blood-brain barrier issues? I mean, I think possibly. I think there's also some liposomal derivatives. I know Quicksilver makes one, for example, that's pretty good. And I talked to Chris about this at, at detail, Chris Shade. And so I do think that with liposomal delivery, maybe transdermal, um, these are other options. But you know, what we did as a company was thinking about actually working on those allosteric sites for the most part, because those allosteric sites are really easy to reach overall. And there's good plants and good supplements that we can use to do that. And there's actually a fantastic mushroom derivative called agarin. And agarin is from the Amanita muscarium mushroom. You probably know that oh, mushroom. 
Isn't that like the Mario mushroom? Yes, yeah, the Mario mushroom. It's the, the, red the mushroom and white from one. Santa Claus mythology, the one that causes psychedelic journeys. But, but, and this is the thing. So there's two major components of the Amanita muscaria mushroom. There's one called ibotenic acid. Ibotenic acid is neurotoxic. That's what causes the tripping experience. You drink your shaman's urine from the reindeer who ate the mushroom. Yeah, I read, I read that book. Uh, uh, my friend Taro of Forcing Back Mushrooms wrote the book Santa on Shrooms. And look, I, I, yeah. I uh, <laughs> since since my father is uh, is Christian Orthodox and Saint Nicholas is actually one of the revered saints in that religion, I've taken a deep dive into some of the what I would argue to be the truer history of Saint Nicholas. I don't think he was necessarily a mushroom enthusiast but regardless it's an interesting story but back to the yeah. amanita so so yeah. there's different forms of the amanita well there's two different major compounds the one is the ibotenic acid and the other one is called agarin and agarin is a positive it's an orthosteric ligand of the gaba receptor meaning it actually binds to the gaba receptor just like gaba it gets across the blood brain barrier and it is long acting the half life of agarin is about 6 hours so it's a fantastic compound for sleep. And we are the only company using it in a product for sleep out there right now because it's very difficult to find and very difficult to make. I'm assuming it's, it's legal. Yes, it's legal. Yeah. So um, Amanita actually is a legal mushroom in every state in the United States, except for Louisiana. So you can purchase it. Um, but the problem is if you buy Amanita online or, or at a store, you're going to have the ibotenic acid in there too. Oh, and that okay. is going to cause some neurotoxicity. So we took the agarin out of there and it's a fantastic orthosteric ligand of the GABA receptor. It's long acting. You can use very, very low doses of it, like a half a milligram, a milligram, and you don't get a psychedelic experience from it. You just get long acting GABA support that the, the whole evening. Um, and there are other compounds like this. So kava, you know, kava is a, yeah. a positive allosteric modulator of the GABA receptor. Kind of like legal Hawaiian weed. Yes. So that's why there's kava bars. Kava bars are yeah. like you go in and you feel like you've had a couple of drinks of alcohol, but kava doesn't have the same addictive potential or the same tolerance or withdrawal potential. Kava is a natural plant. It's a positive allosteric modulator of the GABA receptor. It works on an entourage effect with multiple uh, forms of something called cavalactones, which are the active ingredient of, of the kava plant, of the kava plant. So you have kava, which is great. You probably heard of magnolia bark or hanakayal before. Yeah, isn't that like the, the Chinese traditional medicine treatment for insomnia, Hanakail? Yep, it is. It's been around for a long time. And Hanakail is the one of the active ingredients of magnolia bark. And this works at the benzodiazepine site of the GABA receptor, but it doesn't bind as tightly again. So it doesn't have the same tolerance, withdrawal, or dependence issues as something like a benzodiazepine was or would. And so you have Hanakail, which is another one of these. So I've also discussed some of the cannabinoids, so CBD, CBG, CBN. They're also working as positive allosteric modulators of the GABA receptor, and they're also working on the endocannabinoid system along with other other areas too. I mean, CBG is a fantastic, fantastic cannabinoid working on the PPAR gamma side and metabolically. It's got some really cool things happening there too. With CBG, a lot of people will say, well, that's the good endocannabinoid for focus, and they'll say CBN or CBD would be better for sleep. But what you're saying is you could take CBG and it would have a good impact on GABA in terms of supporting sleep? Yeah, so I, I think more of CBG as an anxiolytic overall. Okay. That's where the data is. And so I think more of CBN is something that helps with sleep support. And so, and there's a little bit of a difference, right? So we talked about there's, 
GABA-A receptors, but there's different types of GABA-A receptors. Each GABA-A receptor has five subunits. And each of these subunits has a different uh, a different composition depending on where they are in the brain. So you have alpha-1 subunits, which are more responsible for sleep, and you have alpha-2, which are more responsible for anxiety. And so you can actually modulate uh, the type of receptor you want to address depending on the issue that somebody has. Hmm. And, yeah, so, and, and these GABA receptors, as I mentioned, are everywhere, but they're also in a really cool location, Ben. They're, in a, they're called interneurons. Interneurons are these neurons that kind of like the way stations between other neurons. So you have like a huge serotonergic neuron and a huge dopamine neuron. And like in between, you'll have a GABA neuron. And what GABA is really doing is it's helping with the processing of information. So learning, memory, skill acquisition. Oh, wow. It's not all just about dopamine and serotonin. We actually have to be able to put on the brakes. I mean, you know this as well as I do, Ben. It's like how much information could we potentially be processing in any, any one moment in any given time? We have so much coming at us. So what is preventing us from doing all that processing? It's actually the GABA interneurons that are actually modulating all of this. So it's really wow. cool that we have a, a w amazing abilities to do the, actually some modulation with some of these compounds, but also looking at our foundational biology and making sure that we're, you know, we're foundationally optimized so that we can do this when we need to. So up until now, there have not been very many supplements that are available on the market to support what's called mitophagy. Have you ever heard of mitophagy before? It's the flushing out of old damaged mitochondria. Your body needs to do that. And your body does that with support from something called urolithin A. Most of us do not have very much urolithin A in our guts where it needs to be present in order for you to engage in mitophagy. Turns out urolithin A can also maintain muscle health for longevity. And it turns out also that a team at a company called Timeline Nutrition have figured out how to get you a power-packed daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A in their product called MitoPure. Here's what's great. They got a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle-building protein with the MitoPure. They've got a berry powder that will mix into smoothies or any drink. They have soft gels for travel. They have a starter pack that lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. They took 10 years of research to bring this product to market, but now it's to market and now you benefit. Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Here's how. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ben and use code Ben to get 10% off your order. That's Timeline, T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E, Nutrition, N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Ben. I recommend you try their starter pack with all three formats. Check them out. TimelineNutrition.com slash Ben. Who doesn't like honey? I like honey. Honey. But have you ever had Manuka honey? Oh my gosh. It's rich. It's creamy. It's pure. And it is chock full of amazing nutrients. Manuka honey is super rich in antioxidants and prebiotics. A hundred times more compared to regular honey. But it tastes really good. It doesn't taste medicinal. It tastes better than any honey, in my opinion. On top of that, it contains an antibacterial compound called MGO that can be found exclusively in Manuka honey. Now, it's getting colder. It's time to think about presents for the people you love. And this miracle of nature, Manuka honey by Manukora Honey, just fell into my lap at the perfect time. It's a rare, super honey, 100% natural with some very unique properties. 
The bottom line is that the nutrients in Manuka honey really support your optimal immune and digestive health. And did I mention that this stuff by Manukora honey is delicious? It's good on sourdough bread. I've been drizzling it on the salads. I put it on a little overnight oatmeal. Anything I put in it is great. Smoothies. Oh my gosh, as a topping to smoothies with a little bee pollen and cacao nibs. Holy cow. Off to another planet. It's so good. It's a perfect gift for the people you love to keep them sweet and healthy too. Now, Manukora sent me a jar and a squeeze bottle of their MGO 850 Plus Manuka Honey, their best-selling honey. That 850 Plus honey has this creamy caramel texture that melts in your mouth. It's unlike anything I've ever tried. So I can grab a spoonful out of a jar to put in my favorite beverage, squeeze some honey out on some avocado toast or overnight oatmeal. It's so delicious. And you get 25 bucks off their starter kit, which comes with that MGO 850 Honey a free travel pack with honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and a free guidebook. That's all at manukora.com slash ben. M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash ben to get 25 bucks off your starter kit from Manukora. Head over to manukora.com slash ben to get three free gifts with your starter kit. $25 value. Usually what holds me back most from the amount of information processing I can achieve is whether or not we run out of coffee that day. But <laughs> I actually didn't know that about GABA and it's, it's interplay between serotonin and dopamine. Oh, so yeah. You talked about the, uh, the magnolia bark extract, CBN, CBG, some of these cannabinoids. Um, in addition to that, you, uh, you brought up the mushroom extract and the kava. Now, are these all things? Because you you gave me two different products when we were at a we were yeah. the recent A4M, the American Academy for Anti Aging Medicine. We were talking there, and you gave me some stuff to help me sleep in Vegas. But before that, I think you'd sent those same products to my home. One was called Trozy, one was called Tro Calm. I don't really understand the difference between the two. But does one of those have all the ingredients you just listed? Yeah, man. So the the Tro Calm was created for anxiousness and for stress reduction. And it's a combination of kava, CBD, CBG, and something called nicotinal GABA. We didn't talk about that one, but nicotinal GABA is a vitamin B3 attached to a GABA molecule. As I mentioned earlier, GABA itself doesn't get across the blood-brain barrier very easily, but a vitamin B3 attached to a GABA does. And when it gets Hmm. into the brain, this is super cool, it hydrolyzes, so it breaks up into vitamin B3, into GABA. So GABA becomes its, the neurotransmitter GABA, and vitamin B3 becomes vitamin B3. So that it causes mild vasodilation and mild activation. So that's nice because during the day, if you're taking something for anxiety or stress, you don't want to feel tired. You just don't want to feel anxiety and stress. So that's kind of like how some people like microdose with CBD, like 10 milligrams of CBD, larger amounts would just knock you out. But they'll use that for a little bit of relaxed focus. You know, theanine, which you mentioned earlier, people will use for that as well. So what you're saying is Trocalm, it's helping out with GABA and relaxation, but in a more focused way that could be taken during the daytime. Exactly, yeah. And and as you know from our trochees, like these are titratable. So they're, they're dissolvable lozenges that go between your upper cheek and gum, take about 15 to 30 minutes to dissolve, uh, bypassing digestion in your liver and small intestines. So you get it a faster effect. And as a result of the troche itself and how it's created, it's precision dose. So each quarter of it is the same amount, equal equal four quarters, equal the amount that's in the, the troche. And so you can take just a quarter to take the edge off and you do that during the day if you're having an, an anxious moment. So it's like the, the the example I always give is you're about to give a speech, but you can't remember any of your lines because your brain is so sympathetically dominant that everything has gone blank. 
if you just take a little bit of a trocom, just a quarter of that can take the edge off. And all of a sudden you're just firing at all cylinders. So it's that calm, focused kind of feeling. But if you have more issues with stress and anxiety, taking more of it can significantly help. With that vitamin B3 attached to that GABA though, it's, it's super interesting because you just won't feel that tired. It's something that can help you wind down in the evenings, but it's not gonna make you feel sleepy per se. But for me and for a lot of my patients, it actually helps quiet the mind. I mean, on average, I think you probably know this, Ben, but I think on average, a human has about 70,000 thoughts per day. And if you are anxious or stressed, you have about 120,000 thoughts per day. If you have depression, it's the same thing. So you're ruminating on this stuff. And so what Trocom can do in any sort of GABAergic kind of ecosystem that we're creating with this with this product, which, which, is, which is very cool, is that you can just tamper down or just, as Dr. Ted would say, cause constipation of your thoughts, thoughts to patient. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I usually have thought diarrhea more often than thought constipation. The, uh, the, the, the troke you said, the upper cheek and the gum, I've actually been putting these kind of like right in my lower lip, like where you'd usually put, I don't know, like a nicotine pouch or something like that. Is that the wrong location? So the, the lower lip has about two layers of mucosa. Okay. The upper lip between your upper cheek and, and gum, they have about eight layers. And the reason why we like it up here in the, in the upper cheek and gum is that it's going to actually get most of the ingredient to dissolve directly into your cheek mucosa, directly into your vascular system there. That's interesting. All right. Well, I might have been wasting some of this stuff then because I've never put it up there. Yeah, you're not wasting it because you're getting it. If you're swallowing it, you're still going to get the effect. It's just going to take a little bit longer. And what we find is that for the Trocom specifically and the TroZ, that it's obviously going to work faster this way if it's dissolved up here. And also, um, you don't have to worry about degradation of any of your ingredients because you don't have any issue with digestion. You know, typically with things going through your liver, you're going to get some bioavailability that gets downregulated or gets decreased as a result. But you don't get that with dissolving in your mouth. All right. Well, I know there's at least one and a half listeners thinking this, so I'm going to ask it. What if you just shove one up your butt for like a, <laughs> a rectal delivery? So suppositories are great for mucosal absorption. There's no doubt about it. Um, our trochies are not formulated in that way. They have some flavoring. They have a little bit of peppermint, for example, in our other products and a little bit of cinnamon. So you don't want to be doing that in your rectal mucosa. Now, I have no problem with suppositories. I think they're fantastic, but not for artrochies. But as I said, if people don't want to dissolve them in their mouth, they can swallow them and they do work that way. They're just going to be working a little bit slower. And they're also probably need a little bit of a higher dose, for example. So if you needed a quarter, you may need a half. But I mean, honestly, 15 to 30 minutes and you start feeling the effect, it's pretty f- profound for most people. Yeah, they kick in pretty quickly. Like for me, it, for me, I've been using it just because, you know, I, I kind of stick to my tried and true habit. I use the... uh Keon sleep, some CBD, and if I'm traveling, melatonin before bed. And that works pretty well for me. But when I've been waking in the wee hours, I've been popping. Uh, actually, I've got a little, you know, I, I cut the little squares in half. I do half of the trozy and half of the trochome. And that seems to just kind of like get me back to sleep pretty quickly. It just kind of dissolves in the mouth. And, you know, the only issue with it is, of course, I have to take my mouth tape off, Scott, and apply a new piece of mouth tape. Gosh darn it. Uh, maybe that's why I, I asked the suppository question because I believe it or not I don't tape my rectum for sleep. Uh, but but the TroZ, the other one, what, what what's what's in the TroZ? Because you were just talking yeah. about the TroCalm. Yeah, so the TroCalm has those four ingredients that are really working synergistically together in low doses to optimize for stress and anxiety and help you get rid of those fast. 
And Trozy was created to be a comprehensive sleep solution, really leveraging the GABA system that we're, we've been talking about. So it has the Hanukkah that we were talking about before. It has the Agarin that we were talking about before as well. Agarin from the psychedelic mushroom, the Amanita, very, very low doses, no psychedelic experience, just long acting GABA support throughout your whole evening. Has CBD, it has CBN in it as well. It also has adenosine. So adenosine is not acting on the GABA system. It's working on the adenosine receptors in the brain. And you were mentioning caffeine earlier. So this is for your people that like to drink coffee all day long, but it can screw up their sleep. Having some adenosine before you go to bed um, or it can really help with that unbinding of the caffeine to the receptor and getting adenosine to allow it to bind. You can use an adenosine and actually kind of knock caffeine off that receptor. Yeah, you can. You just give exactly. a whole bunch of people a lot of excuses to have an affogato after dinner. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, buyer beware. I mean, it may yeah. not work for everybody, depending on how much caffeine you have and how sensitive you are. But that's why we added it to the to the actual formula. We also have another really cool ingredient in there called cordycepin. So it comes from the cordyceps mushroom, and people have uh, some fun. Uh, interplay with the cordyceps mushroom now because of the show on HBO called The Last of Us yeah. and the cordyceps mushroom. But it's, it's a medicinal mushroom that's been around in Chinese medicine for you know thousands of years. It does eat the brains of insects and take them over. So that does exist. It nice. doesn't take over and make us zombies yet. But cordycepin increases slow wave sleep. No way. So I always thought it was a stimulant. No, no. Cordycepin is, it's, it increases slow wave sleep. It also has these profound effects on metabolism. It's been studied in cancer. It's got study. It's been studied in insulin resistance. It is a very cool compound. And again, we're the first company to ever put it in a sleep formula. And this is of course out of Dr. Ted's brain, but the key with all this, Ben, is we are enhancing and optimizing sleep architecture. So we are only doing that in a very holistic way. And that's the key with taking anything for sleep. You really want to try to take things. I'm like, like your stuff, I'm sure too. It's, it's trying to enhance your sleep architecture and not, you know, not mess with it. And we also have some, um, some 5-HTP and some melatonin in the formula as well to help round it out as, as a comprehensive sleep solution. How much 5-HTP? Do you remember? Yeah, 50 milligrams of 5 Okay, so that's not too much because, you, you yeah. know, you get a lot from the, uh, I guess it's probably more like the Ray Pete, Georgie Dinkoff, you know, small niche community online. You know, Dr. Joe Mercola is kind of yes. on this as well. Like too much 5-HCP could actually be deleterious due to uh, serotonin excesses. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely familiar with Joe's interest in that and Ray's interest in that as well. But I, I don't see it as being a big issue. I mean, oftentimes like it's a very low dose here at 50 milligrams and the other people other sometimes will also get a little upset about melatonin in there too. I don't know what your, your thoughts are on, but I mean, from my perspective, even if people are well, well dialed in with circadian rhythms, our melatonin production does go down as we get older. And it's especially important when we're traveling as well. So Trozy is a great yeah. sleep solution. I feel like, you know, with the, with the melatonin in there. I, I travel, I travel so much, Scott, that let's say there is, even though I don't think there is, let's say there is a negative feedback loop with melatonin and by supplementing, you're shutting down your own endogenous production or whatever. For me, it's one of the best travel hacks ever. And it's kind of like guys who just want to maintain libido and strength and muscle mass as they age who take testosterone, it's like, well, yeah, you're going to shut down your own endogenous production. You could take Enclomid or Enclomaphene or HCG sure. and mitigate some of that. But at the right. end of the day, it's a decision about better living through science and shutting down something, at least the possibility of shutting down something your body makes. And for me, 
I'm okay with melatonin. And if somebody says, well, you know, that means you're going to be dependent on it. Look, it's, it's so clutch for me for travel that I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great perspective. And I, I also think that people realize, I don't realize that melatonin is so important for not only for sleep, but it's like one of our, our most powerful antioxidants. Yeah. Amazing anti-inflammatory antioxidant. I have a friend who just got a, um, a urinary tract infection and, and I, I have him, uh, recommended them high dose melatonin protocol by day and methylene or by night and methylene blue protocol by day for that very reason. Yeah, for sure. And then and people taking very, very high doses of melatonin as an anti-cancer. And I know you've, you've talked about before that on the, on the podcast, I'm sure. So I think that my sense of it is that very low doses, like two and a half or five milligrams, they're not going to have any down regulatory effect on melatonin production. The other thing that people worry about is testosterone production going down with melatonin. And there's no indication that that's the case. There's no great studies at all. And there's been a lot of lay press, uh, biohacker type of people saying that not taking melatonin because it's decreasing my testosterone. That's also bullshit too. So I, I think that there are certain people that would be more sensitive to, to lower doses. Um, I'm more sensitive in general. So I only can have about two and a half milligrams. Otherwise I actually get a paradoxical effect, interestingly enough. Yeah. A lot of people report that. That happens to my wife. She takes so much. How much is in the Trozy? How much melatonin is in the Trozy? Five milligrams. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you're cutting that, that's all, that's an entire square. So that's if you're cutting that in half, yeah. you're getting two and a half. Yeah, yeah. The average dose seems to be about a half, a half a trochee for for the trozy. So like almost all of our yeah. trochees, a quarter, a half, a full is kind of deal. But with the trozy, it doesn't really work for most people if they don't have another sleep stack with just taking a quarter. You need to take at least a half to get a good experience. Um, but if you're already taking a sleep stack and you're adding it to the sleep stack, then it may be something you can start off with a quarter and and kind of go from there. But People got to be mindful, of course, when they're stacking things together. I mean, obviously, if you're taking any other GABAergic drugs that are prescription, those are going to be much stronger. And so you have to be careful if you're taking anything that's going to okay. enhance the GABA system too. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. So, you know, you hear about glutamate and I, I know a lot of people who use ketamine. It's actually being used like recreationally as an intranasal spray by a lot of people, you know, parties, yep. raves, social functions, et cetera. I've used it before, but from what I understand, it actually interacts with glutamate. So I, I wanted to ask you this, like, is there any interplay between ketamine and GABA? Like if you were to take GABA and ketamine at the same time, would they counteract the effects of each other or would long-term ketamine use have a deleterious impact on GABA or anything like that? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I was just uh, just talking to somebody about this yesterday, and the interplay is it's on the glutamate receptors. But what I, I have a friend in the ER, he told me yesterday that you know the the pharmacists hate ketamine because it's a dirty drug, and what, what by dirty means that it affects tons of receptors. It's not just affecting the glutamate receptors. It's actually affecting multiple different ones, including dopamine, norepinephrine, and also GABA as well. So as a result of that, I mean, ketamine is a great drug. It's, it's got some great therapeutic potential and it saved a lot of lives and we should be using it in ERs instead of giving people Haldol and Ativan and shit and giving them, uh, give them, giving them ketamine and getting them psychiatry. Um, there's a big push for that actually. But, um, but certainly we know that when there's more glutamate around, you're going to make more GABA and all because of that conversion factor, right? The B6 and magnesium converting glutamate to GABA. So we know that's happening. Okay. So, but if you are always using, if you're using something like 
ketamine all the time, you are going to start depleting everything. You're going to start depleting GABA as well. And, and you're going to start depleting glutamate. And then you're going to be downregulating your receptors. So there seems to be a bit of a balance, as far as I can tell. When you actually are affecting these NMDA receptors, you're actually also affecting glut- uh, the GABA receptors as well. It hasn't been well described, but because you don't see people getting totally excitable. I mean, most people that take uh, ketamine will actually have more of a, a calming dissociative effect, right? They don't have the this sort of what you would imagine would be a, glut- a glutamate overactivity, which would potentially present as excitability. It could present, present maybe as significantly as seizures, but that doesn't happen. So it's obviously affecting the GABA receptors and other locations too. So I think we don't know, but certainly, I mean, ketamine as a recreational drug is a little bit scary. Yeah. I I think a lot of people don't realize how depleting it can be. It's kind of like that, you know, what do they call it? The, the, the black Tuesday or whatever it is, you know, after the weekend when you've had MDMA where everything's depleted and you got to take glutathione and Sammy, what'd you call it? Suicide Tuesday. Yeah. Suicide Tuesday. And yeah. I would imagine a lot of people are using ketamine recreationally, maybe having those issues, not even know that they've got depleted amino acids and depleted neurotransmitters and probably right. need to replace some building blocks and modulate dosage. Because I, I think I think it's, I mean, I can't swing a dead cat by the tail without hitting at least, you know, three or four well-known, you know, biohackers, health influencers, people in the industry who are like dependent on ketamine because they've talked to me about it. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. And I mean, I think the best description or the best experience for people to think about glutamate overdose is when you go to a Chinese restaurant and happen to have monosodium glutamate in your food. It's sweet, right? And then all of a sudden you start getting headaches and you feel irritable and you can't sleep. That is glutamate overload. Mm. That is your brain not being able to convert that glutamate over to, glut- to GABA fast enough. Um, and this could be hereditary to some degree, or it could be just something that you don't have the the cofactors to be able to do it. That's more common, your vitamin B6 and magnesium. And so you're going to get headaches. So if I go to a, a Chinese restaurant uh, with my father, he's going to have headaches if we have MSG. I don't typically get them, but it can cause that excitability kind of thing. So if something's pure glutamate, it should cause something like that, as opposed to something with ketamine, which is more of, like I said, a dirty drug. And I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I just mean it's dirty in the sense it's affecting lots of receptors or promiscuous. That's the other word we like to use for these kinds of drugs. Maybe that's nicer. You hear about like uh, sauna use, for example, or even exercise as ways to increase yeah. some feel-good neurotransmitters like dopamine, epinephrine, and the like. Are there lifestyle factors or even so-called biohacks? I mean, you talk a lot about the hyperbaric chamber, for example, but certain technologies or activities people can engage in that would support healthy GABA production? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest one is that we know that stress significantly depletes GABA. So doing things that are not stressful are going to have a relationship with increasing GABA production over time. So meditation, there's been studies on meditation, yoga, and breath work, increasing GABA production. Makes sense. The more parasympathetic you are, the more relaxed you are, the more you're going to to replete your GABA levels overall. And also, actually, interestingly, although this may be paradoxical to think about, but exercise does the same thing. So exercise increases your balance between your glutamate and your GABA production. Hmm. So you're actually going to have more GABA production in various areas in the brain as a result of having um, uh, doing exercise overall. So exercise is going to do it. Um, Meditation is going to do it. Um, and then, of course, you know, we talked about 
optimizing your diet, right? So optimizing your diet for glutamine-rich foods. Uh, glutamate foods are okay too. These are fermented foods typically. Um, and I can run a list if you guys want, but we can talk about those types of foods and also your minerals, your, your magnesium, your copper, your zinc. All these are really important to, to build up the ability for you to be able to make glutamine or to get glutamine in the body, convert it to glutamate, convert glutamate to GABA. What are the, the three foods that are the highest in glutamine if we just want to pick three? So a couple ones that are good. So steak, <laughs> everybody yeah. likes steak. Yes, steak is really high in glutamine, uh, sauerkraut and fermented foods. Oh. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of cheeses, but you know, cheeses also have a lot of glutamine in them too. Does the cheese matter? Because usually it's like the hard artisanal cheeses that seem to be the highest in some of these beneficial compounds. I think it's those cheeses. I don't think it's the soft cheeses as much, but I, yeah, I'm not like a Parmesan Reggiano or something like that. Yeah. 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 And then you have your, your glutamate containing foods. Seafood is as high in glutamate, caviar, seaweed, mushrooms, uh, spinach, dried cod. Those are the main ones that have a lot of, of glutamate in them. I think where I tend to focus with most of my patients that I work with is on the glutamine containing foods because I like I find that if you're giving a lot of glutamate containing foods to people, sometimes they can get those headaches too for the same reasons that you get it from monosodium glutamate. Steak and caviar sounds like a real drag man. I don't think that sounds bad. That sounds perfect to me. There's a lot of websites and quizzes I've seen. You know, Dr. Eric Braverman, he probably has the most popular one. I think uh, that supplements company, Newtopia, they have a quiz that I think is supposed to be kind of like a neurotransmitter quiz. But is there anything to this idea of like genetic predispositions or personality types that would dictate whether you're GABA dominant or GABA deficient? Do you have alcoholics in your family? That's the one thing, right? So because if you have alcoholics in your family, this could be a genetic predisposition to having less GABA available mm. so that you have to actually increase GABA other ways to maintain some sort of mood regulation. Because our ancestors didn't have trozies. They had wine and mead and beer. Well, the thing is, Ben, you actually, this is, this, you actually, that's a perfect segue. It's not so much that it's hereditary that they have a GABA deficiency. It's more that they're hereditary in the sense of their ability to methylate their B vitamins uh, or their ability to, to sustain, sustain nutrition to optimize their glutamate and GABA levels. So my strong sense of this, and I've worked with several patients like this, and I have colleagues that have done the same. If you optimize uh, somebody that has a history of alcoholism um, in, in their family, for example, if you optimize their vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, they don't feel like they need to drink and they won't drink as much overall because they're not trying to maintain a GABA level that they couldn't maintain before because they had a genetic predisposition from a vitamin, mineral, and nutrient perspective. Because actual inherited disorders of the GABA receptor are ridiculously rare. Like they're just not seen in clinical practice at all. So I think most of the issues that we're seeing from a, you know, quote unquote, genetic predisposition, like for example, alcoholism, um, are related to uh, vitamin, mineral, and nutrient deficiencies, and maybe some genetic abnormalities or um, heterogeneities there that are causing it, but not the GABA receptor itself. So, I mean, but most of those, uh, those, those quizzes are not going to ask about GABA. They're going to ask about serotonin and norepinephrine and yeah. dopamine, because those are all the sexy ones that that people are talking about taking fast from, or at least dopamine at least. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to sleep, is there anything that you personally do besides Trocalm or Trozy for sleep that, that for you is just like a game changer? And this is kind of relevant yeah. to me right now because I'm working on a new book and there's a big chapter on it with a whole bunch of like updated sleep hacks. So sweet. Kind of like behind the scenes asking, asking some of my guests what their personal sleep hacks are. 
Sure. So from a product perspective, I'm actually more of a Trocom guy because for me, as, long, as soon as I fall asleep, I'm good. It's a matter, a matter of falling asleep for me. And so that's the type A personality, the perseverating thoughts, the, the thought diarrhea, as it were, as you were describing before. So my thoughts to patient would be uh, Trocom in this case. So I'll take Trocom a couple hours before bed. Oh, a couple hours before. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that actually, I could take it right before bed too, but I really like having it on board for a couple hours. It lasts for about three to five hours for me. So I like having it right before like that sort of wind down period when I'm with my kids and I'm relaxing and I want my mind to be sort of off work, phone away kind of deal and just having it as sort of an evening. So what people will do oftentimes is take Trocom instead of drinking a glass of wine with dinner or having their beer or whatever it might be is their wind down. So I like to use it that way. Overall, it's sort of like my wind down for the evening. But you know, for me, actually, Dr. Ted Atracosa, who's been on your podcast before, he probably gave me the single most important piece of advice that I've ever received from sleep. He calls it his sleep anchoring technique. And what this means is, is it basically changes the perspective on the importance of sleep. Instead of saying that your day starts when you wake up, say to yourself, your day starts when you go to bed. Your day starts, see, I've always heard it like your night starts when you wake up with ample light exposure, but this is interesting, keep going. Yeah, so the idea here is that if you consider going to sleep as the start of your day, not the end of your day, then you're going to treat it with more respect and with more care and take care and protect it on a day-to-day basis whenever you can. Because your day starts when you go to bed, not when you wake up. Now, of course, when you wake up, you have your morning routine, you have your, your sunlight exposure, you have your grounding, anything else that you do. But if you just focus on that, but you forgot about the other eight hours you just went to bed, it's not going to help as much, right, as you know. So if you think about your day starts when you go to bed, as opposed to when you wake up, that's the frame shift that helped me. I mean, I, I'm a doctor, right? I had in medical school, my friends and I wore shirts that said, that said sleep is for quitters. Okay. So I didn't think sleep mattered for a long time. And even through my thirties, I didn't think it mattered. I thought I could be up in the middle of the night, do what I need to do and just work the next day. But no, I mean, I, like many people, I crashed and burned and when I turn 40, it's not going to happen anymore, right? So most of us can get away with it for a period of time. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And that's the major thing for what I tell my patients. That's what we tell people at transcriptions. Because again, we have great formulas here that can help you with anxiety. They can help you with stress. They can help you with sleep. But what you should be doing is thinking about what is this whole sleep architecture that we were talking about? So you asked about my personal thing. So I can give you my personal if you'd like. Yeah. So for me... What I'll typically do is um, is an infrared sauna. I have an infrared sauna in my house. It's when I when I found out that I was going to have four kids, we thought we were going to have three, and somehow we ended up having four. Wait, quadruplets? No, no. <laughs> I have I have three kids. I had three daughters, and then my my fourth was a surprise. Okay, okay, I understand. Yes, yes, <laughs> and so. Um, my oldest is 13. My youngest is six now and three girls and my youngest is a boy. But when I found out that we were going to have a fourth kid, I was like a very small house living in Northern California at the time. So I bought myself an infrared sauna and it's been, I think one of the best purchases that I've ever made by far. So I'm in there most nights. I spent about 30 minutes in there. Typically we do some reading, some meditation, some relaxation exercises of some sort during that time. And then after the sauna, I'll typically take like a, a temperate shower, so not too hot, not too cold. Um, 
will do my sleep stack of supplements, typically some magnesium, some glycine, sometimes Trozy when I'm traveling, but I don't take Trozy unless I'm traveling typically okay. because I don't need it. Um, and then I have what I call my, my Pavlov's dog routine. And Pavlov's dog is, for those who don't know, this is an experiment done where they would ring a bell and give food to a dog and the dog would salivate and the dog would eat, and then eventually take away the food, just ring the bell, the dog would salivate. So the idea for me, for my sleep routine, is do the exact same thing for the last 10 to 15 minutes every night. And that's sleep, it's basically going to the bathroom, brushing my teeth, yep. stretching, and getting into bed with my eye mask on, having a sound machine on, doing gratitude, and then just done, bed. I, I, it's, that's, that's awesome. I love the Pavlogs. I'm, I'm the same way to the extent to where I try to choose things for the Pavlov's dog routine that I can replicate when traveling. So if it's lavender essential oil, I don't use an oil diffuser anymore, right? Like I just sprinkle it on the pillow because I can do that same thing when I travel. You know, the sleep mask, easy. Uh, the red light headlamp that I used to get around the room at night or the red lights, that's easy to bring to the hotel room. Um, you know, put, putting the pillow underneath the back of my knees and breathing for about five minutes with four in, eight out before rolling over into a side sleeping position. Right? I can replicate that in the hotel. So I, I try to, to not be dependent on any large bulky sleep technologies that if I'm on the road traveling again, because I travel so much, I'm going to feel like I'm not getting my adequate sleep routine that I can replicate because I can't exactly call down to the front desk and ask them to bring me, I don't know, like a bed jet air conditioning unit or a chili pad for sleep. So, you know, I try not to be dependent on that stuff. I'm totally with you. So I have my, my long routine, which is when I'm home. And then I have my short routine when I'm traveling. I mean, this is something you've dialed in so much because of how much you travel, but it's a, just certain techniques or certain things that I will do that just trigger my brain to know that this is time to get to sleep. And I, I think the biggest part for me actually is taking those 30 seconds or a minute when I'm in bed and just doing a full body scan, doing a, mm. a small gratitude practice and just being comfortable and grateful for the day and, and setting intentions for the next day too. Right. So it's, uh, it, it's really important for me. So nothing fancy there really. And, and but I, I like, I like the fancy tools as well when I can, when, when I have them, of course. So. Yeah. The body scans are pretty incredible. The so-called yoga nidra or, or non-sleep deep rest protocols. There's not many voices that I don't find kind of grinding for those, but there's one lady on YouTube and I've got YouTube premium, which I think is the ultimate life hack. Just you can download tons of stuff, view it online, ad free. They, they still don't have the ability to take your downloaded videos and make playlists out of them. which mm -hmm. I think they need to add at least that can be used in offline mode. So tip to anyone who works at YouTube, make playlists downloadable and available offline. But anyways, uh, this lady, uh, Allie Boothroyd, I think is her channel. She has non-sleep deep rest protocols that range from 20 minutes up to a full eight hours. And like when I flew back from Qatar the other day, because I just got back from India, I did her eight hour on the plane with noise blocking headphones. Oh, wow. Incredible. And, and, you know, I usually what will happen is if I wake up at like 4 a.m. or whatever, I want to kind of lull myself back to sleep. I, of course, pop a trochome, Scott, but I'll lay back and do her. It's, it's like the two hour one, right? If I want to lay in bed awesome. until six or so. And it's incredible. Like you, you aren't actually sleeping, but you're in this, you know drool coming out the side of your mouth, non-sleep, deep rest state. And because you're scanning your body, I think this is why it works, is my working hypothesis at least. You can't think about work when you're thinking big toe, breathe, next toe, breathe, next toe, breathe, small toe, ankle, 
heel, back of knee. So it just kind of keeps your thoughts from racing. But her voice in particular is incredible. And what I do, I'll, I'll get a little techie on you here, Scott. This will be the pro tip. There's another app called Sleepstream, and it plays white noise. You know, it blocks out a lot yep. of ambient noise. And a lot of times yep. these yoga nidra sessions, there's long periods of just silence in between mm. what the person says is the next cue. So if the kids are up and awake, getting ready for the day, and I'm not ready to get up yet, or the dogs are barking, or the rooster is crowing, which usually starts about 4.30, this Sleepstream app, I can play it simultaneous to the Yoga Nidra, oh, cool. in just like my, my you know, cheapo headphones, and it'll block out ambient noise while I'm still able to hear the Yoga Nidra voice. So that's what I'll do if I just need to use some kind of like a sound to lull me to sleep. I still like that. There's an app called the New Calm. It's also really good. But yeah, for Yoga Nidra, like combining something like Ali's Yoga Nidra tracks with the uh, the Sleepstream app, it's incredible. Do you have like one headphone going in one ear? How does that work? Is it is it also both being piped in your ears at the same time? I have the uh, the Sleep phones. They're like the soft. Uh, they're they're like twenty bucks, I think, on Amazon. Yeah, but they're they're good for side sleepers. If I tend to tend to roll on my side. Right. And if I happen to have forgotten to get those out before bed, I'll literally just use my you know old school Apple white wired headphones and put those in. Yeah. But yeah, no, it plays it layer it layers over, right? So the sleep space white noise layers over the Yoga Nidra. So it's not coming through two separate speakers. They're both those tracks are coming through both headphones into both ears. It's cool, you're like you're doing like a real time mix, man. Yeah. That's cool. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll use the old Apple <laughs> old school headphones when I travel too for the white noise. I find that helps a lot. Yeah. And I have a free app that I use for the white noise piece of things too. You know the other hack for this, and this is something I, I learned from Luke's story. You know like those underwater swim headphones that are they're vibrate they use bone vibration to transmit sound. You can have yeah. in your regular headphones and then in your underwater MP3 player that you're using on dry land, you can pump out what what uh, Luke told me is he play he'll play Joe Dispenza meditation tracks while playing New Calm, and he'll play the New Calm through his regular headphones and play the Joe Dispenza meditation tracks through his bone vibrating headphones, if you want to call them that. And uh, and wow, and that's, that's, cool. that's another way to layer. So all sorts of different ways to sleep if you like. Many other people can't turn the brain off at night or at least uh, yeah. stop up the brain diarrhea. I love that. Yeah, I've used Nucom before. I like it. And I'm a big fan of Sam Harris's waking up app as well. And so some of his longer meditations and I've had a couple of friends learn how to splice those things together with with various other tracks like Nucom and other things. This is getting fancy, but it's, it's, it's interesting to play around with. I think the body scans are great for the reasons you mentioned, Ben. It's like, it's a way to get out of your head a little bit and it's a way to just kind of let everything relax and that's typically yeah. what you need is you just need your, your brain to shut off enough so you can start jumping into deep sleep, which is what all of us need to do in that early, early time when we get into bed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Scott, this has been a, a, a wide ranging, valuable resource of information for all things GABA and sleep and beyond. So uh, the, the transcription stuff, I know you gave me like a link and a discount code and all, all that kind of good stuff for people who want to try Trozy or Trocalm, or you, have, you also have yep. the methylene blue ones, the, uh, yep. um, and the, uh, what's, what's it called? The, the canatine. Yep. Blue canatine. Yeah. Yep. Blue canatine. So I'm going to put all the show notes for everybody listening at bengreenfieldlife.com slash GABA podcast, G A B A podcast. I'll include some links and discount codes to Dr. Scott's stuff. I'll link to the very interesting article. He also wrote on hyperbaric therapy. Cause if you have a hyperbaric chamber, uh, I think it'd be incredible for you to learn some of the ways that Scott upgrades those. So 
Scott, thank you so much, man, for coming on and sharing all this stuff with us and for uh, sending me this trocolm and trozy. I really like it. You're my pleasure, man. It's it's my pleasure to be with you today. And yeah, your code's easy for people. It's just code Ben, oh, B-E-N, easy. at okay. checkout for, for 10% off your order. And so it's easy. And I really appreciate the the opportunity to speak about the forgotten neurotransmitter. And I hope that people listening here learned a little bit about GABA. And as uh, as I wrote an article, there's a bunch of articles on our website on transcriptions on GABA okay, as well, great. as well as our other products. Cool. All right. Well, I'll link to and all that. Check it out. Awesome. So bengreenfieldlife.com slash GABA podcast. Till next time, I'm Ben along with Dr. Scott Scher signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Do you want free access to comprehensive show notes, my weekly roundup newsletter, cutting edge research and articles, top recommendations from me for everything that you need to hack your life and a whole lot more. Check out bengreenfieldlife.com. It's all there. bengreenfieldlife.com. See you over there. Most of you who listen, don't subscribe, like, or rate this show. If you're one of those people who do, then huge thank you. But here's why it's important to subscribe, like, and or rate this show. If you do that, that means we get more eyeballs. We get higher rankings. And the bigger the Ben Greenfield Life show gets, the bigger and better the guests get, and the better the content I'm able to deliver to you. So hit subscribe, leave a ranking, leave a review if you got a little extra time. It means way more than you might think. Thank you so much. Want free access to comprehensive show notes, my weekly roundup, cutting edge research and articles, my top recommendations for everything that you need to hack your life, and much more? Visit bengreenfieldlife.com. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.